Well, I want you to go with me in your mind's eye to a beautiful symphony. This grand orchestra is playing, and the first chair violinist is so skilled, it just takes your breath away. And people look at her, amazing as she is, and go, she just must be one of those naturally gifted musicians. She's just got this unconscious competence where the skill, the mastery of that instrument just flows out of her naturally. But I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Just ask her parents. They'll tell you about the time when little Faith first picked up that violin. It was downright painful. I mean, the family dog began to howl when she prayed. Neighbors were seen to close their windows and doors to shut that awful sound out. It was not pretty. They thought of telling her, honey, we love you, but could you please find a different passion? You're never gonna be competent on the violin. And Faith would tell you she had those thoughts too sometimes because nothing was natural about it. She had to learn how to grasp the bow had to learn how to hold the instrument, proper finger placement and movement. Oh, you look at her today, and you would say she is a naturally brilliant musician, but no one, no one would have said that back then. The truth is, she's disciplined herself for brilliance, and steadily, slowly, through the years, she's developed an unconscious competence on the violin. Well, I'm here to say that I believe there are a lot of parallels between being a mature, faithful follower of Jesus and learning to play the violin. Think of it like this. Jesus in his kingdom is directing a great kingdom symphony. And here's the deal. This is exciting and it gets really personal because he's chosen you to be a part of his orchestra. Now, here's the truth of the matter. The Lord's Orchestra is a bit unconventional, okay? It's got some unusual instruments in it. I mean, there are things like ukuleles, glockenspiels, common registers, what we called in Tennessee flutophones. I want you to know, as a fourth grader in Tennessee, I played a mean flutophone. I want to tell you that right now. I could play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star like you've never heard on my little flutophone. And in God's orchestra, uh, there are some kazoos, if you can believe it. Amen, right, kazoos. And an occasional cowbell, all right? Some unusual instruments. In fact, if you look around right now, some of the people around you, you'll notice some of those unusual instruments, the people in God's grand orchestra. But here's the thing that makes it work. He is a master conductor. And when everyone on the team, when everyone in the orchestra submits to the conductor, is sensitive to one another, and submits to the score that he has written, oh, I want to tell you, the music is beautiful, and it blesses everyone who hears it. But there's a problem, gang. And the problem is that not everybody in the orchestra is like faith. Not everyone progresses and becomes all 
that God really designed them to be. In fact, if you can believe it, at times, they don't even show up for practice, and so therefore, they don't become as competent as they could or should be. And they spend their time kind of looking at faith and going, well, if we were as gifted as her, if we had her natural brilliance, then, then we would be inspired. But what they don't realize is that God has unique notes for them to play, and if they don't play them, nobody else is gonna play them. Now, if you're a true follower of Jesus today, I wanna say it again. Oh, I want you to get this in your heart and soul. You are a member of God's grand orchestra, and so the important thing is that whatever role he's prepared you for, you learn to play that to the best of your God-given ability. And the way we grow and mature is through practicing spiritual disciplines, and that's what I wanna talk with you about today. What in the world does that mean? Spiritual disciplines are these practices that God gives us to develop Christ-like character in us. And it's as we practice these that we become the kind of men and women, the kind of disciples God wants us to be on his team. Now, we're gonna take a quick look at some examples of these disciplines. There are two different varieties, two big categories of spiritual disciplines. One is personal, and the other is congregational, or what you might call corporate spiritual disciplines, okay? Some of them are designed mostly to be practiced alone, and some of them are designed to be practiced together with other believers. These are the, some of the personal spiritual disciplines. For instance, Bible intake. That includes things like hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on the word of God. All the different ways that we internalize truth from scripture. Individual prayer. That includes all the different forms, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, petition, all the different ways that we pray. There are disciplines like fasting, where we abstain from food for a period of time. That's one of the things God uses in our lives to grow us. Spiritual journaling, it's one of my favorites. I love every week, sometimes several times a week, I'll take out my journal and journal prayers and journal things that are going on in my life. There are things like service, where we serve God, we serve people rather in the name of God. And then there are things like solitude and silence where we get alone, just as Jesus often did, in order to hear better from God and to get in touch with what he's doing in our soul. Now again, that's not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the disciplines that you practice mostly in isolation. What are some of the congregational disciplines? Let's look at a few of those. Fellowship. Do you know that was a discipline? We're actually called to get together, whether we feel like it or not, we're not to forsake this, according to Hebrews 10.25, with other believers, and it becomes like iron sharpening iron, and there's so much encouragement and edification that we can get from being together with other followers of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is one of those. Congregational worship, which we've been practicing this, mo this morning. Confession of sin and things like congregational prayer. 
These are disciplines that are generally intended to be practiced with other believers. Now, right away, when you compare those two lists, it becomes obvious that some can kind of be both, right? For instance, you can worship all alone in your house, or you can worship together. You can pray by yourself in isolation, or you can lift your voices together with other believers in prayer. You can serve by yourself or serve as a whole group. As recently, scores and scores of us from Grace went and served in Schenectady on a Saturday morning. Or you can read scripture by yourself or you can do it as a group. You get the idea. Some are personal mostly and others are mostly congregational in nature. So what exactly are these disciplines that we've just looked at? How, how would you define a spiritual discipline? This is my own definition. You can look it up and find many others, I'm sure, that may be helpful. But this is the way I would define it. Spiritual disciplines are methods and means, and I want you to note those two M words, methods and means of grace God has designed through which as we practice them, we grow in godliness. Now, you've seen some of the examples here on the screen, and the question we address today in this series called Vital Signs is, are these disciplines becoming increasingly important in my life and our life as a congregation? Believe it or not, that is one of the vital signs of a healthy church, and of a healthy individual follower of Jesus. Are these disciplines, these means of grace, are they increasingly important in my life? In fact, I'll tell you this, if you leave any one of these unpracticed, if you neglect it, it's like leaving a blessing unclaimed. In other words, each one of these means of grace that God's designed has unique blessings attached, attached to it. So, are you taking advantage of all of them? The reason I ask that is this. Over decades now of being in the local church, here's my observation as a pastor. I would say 90-something percent of God's people take advantage of one spiritual discipline, basically, and that is they go to church every now and then. I'm, I'm being serious right now. You got that deer in headlights look a little bit. 90-something percent of people who profess to be disciples of Jesus, pretty much, I'm gonna show up at church, one of the corporate disciplines, every now and then, and I'm just gonna assume that that'll be enough for me to become what God wants me to be. That would be the equivalent of Steph Curry, the famous basketball player, saying, I'm gonna show up maybe once a week at practice. I'm gonna live like a slug the rest of the time, and I'm gonna assume that I'm gonna perform on the same level come game time. It simply isn't going to happen. So again, I ask you, how important are these things to you? I can't answer that for you. Only you can. And are they becoming increasingly important in your life. So here's where we're going today. I wanna to make three declarations about the disciplines, and I pray that God would use this to kind of stoke our passion 
to be all God designed us to be in his grand orchestra. So here we go. The first declaration is this. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is godliness. I hope we'll get on the same page with that. A key verse for this would be 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Translation of that is, don't spend your life in trivia pursuit. Don't spend your life making mountains out of molehills and being involved in a bunch of things that don't amount to anything in eternity. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, if somebody just stopped you today out on the street and said, excuse me, you're a Christian? Oh, yes, I am. Are you training yourself to be godly? How would you respond to that? It is a command, by the way. It's for every one of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Are you training yourself? Nobody can do it for you. How would you answer that? Are you training yourself to be godly? The old King James Version says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. It's the word that we get the word gymnasium from. That's the Greek word here. And it is gonna be a grueling, gritty workout. It is not a leisurely walk through the park. So, godliness, Christ-likeness, holiness, I'm gonna use those words interchangeably today. That is the goal God has for you. Say, time out, pastor. Last week, you told us love was the goal. Are you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? Good question. Love is simply one of the many parts of godliness. It's just a subset of godliness. God wants to develop all these moral attributes in us. He basically wants the character of Christ to be seen in our lives. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be just like Jesus. But over time, he wants us in an unconsciously competent way to just reflect the character of Christ. And the question we need to keep asking is, to what degree is that true of me? To what degree is that true of me? These disciplines are the tools, the means, the methods that God uses to get us there. Now, you tell me who your hero is in church history. That woman, that man, you look up to and go, wow, I respect that person. You tell me some woman or man that you greatly look up to today and respect as a Christian. Can I tell you something I know about her or him? They've taken advantage of the disciplines. They have drank deeply from that fountain of grace that comes through the spiritual disciplines. They showed up regularly at God's gym, and by God's grace, that person you look up to has gained an unconscious competence in the way they respond to all of life's situations because they've cooperated with God and trained themselves for godliness. Ruth Haley Barton wrote a great book called Sacred Rhythms, and she, she's got an amazing quote in there that I want to share with you right now. Uh, Ruth Barton says, I cannot transform myself. That's a huge statement right there. You see, I cannot transform myself. Now, self-help books will tell you, you can do anything. You can change your whole life all on your own power. 
when it comes to spiritual transformation, Christ-likeness, uh-uh, you can't do it yourself. Only God can change us. And she goes on, or anyone else for that matter, all you married people, can't change your mate, can't change your spouse. What I can do, says Ruth Haley Barton, is I can create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place. How do I do that? By developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. Wow, that is such a great statement. As we show up at God's gym, he brings the transformation. God and God alone can do that in our lives. Some days ago, Debbie uh, has been reading this book by Tim Tebow called Mission Possible, and she read to me something from chapter or from page 130, and I thought, wow, that's good. I want to use that. I'm going to read that to the congregation. So here we go. He says, by the way, Tebow is a two-time Heisman Trophy winner and a former NFL player and an outspoken Christian. The grind, putting in the hard, necessary, and daily work that is pretty unglamorous, that people on the outside don't get to see and don't realize how much there is or what it takes to get done. The grind, he writes, can be rote, such as practicing the same shot a million times or confirming reservations for the fourth time and can seem on the surface to be absent of meaning or reward. Those moments don't have the payoff. But if you don't put in those moments, he writes, you'll never get the payoff. What's just as important as game day is the accumulative value of the practices and training put in on Tuesday morning and Wednesday night and Thursday afternoon. In fact, the tip-off matters more each day that week when you attacked your drills for hours when no one was watching. And then he quotes Alan Armstrong. Champions do not become champions when they win the event. But in the hours, weeks, months, and years they spend preparing for it, the victorious performance itself is merely the demonstration of their championship character. I hope the parallels between the Christian life and athletics are obvious. You look at an amazing woman, a, a Christian you know, and she's going through a hard time. Let's say that she's going through a painful divorce. And you watch her and you say, wow, how is she not in a fetal position? I mean, She's staying joyful in the midst of all this stress and betrayal. And although she hates what she's going through, she seems to be genuinely at peace. How can she be that way? How can she be so strong and forgiving and resilient at a time like this? How can she be so free to respond with grace? I'll tell you how. She was showing up on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday nights and Thursday afternoons at God's gym doing her drills. That's how. She was training herself for godliness. And so when game time came, the stressful event, the tragedy, the painful experience in life, she had the character to endure and even flourish through that hard event, painful as it was. 
That's what God does when we show up at God's gym and practice these spiritual disciplines. That's the purpose, godliness, Christ-like character, okay? So what's the price of this? I would suggest the price of spiritual disciplines is gonna be time. Another pivotal verse on this topic is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Remember I told you I'm gonna use three words interchangeably today, godliness, Christ-likeness, sanctification. They're all from the same root Greek word, okay? This verse says, pursue peace with all people and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The word sanctification is translated godliness, Christ-likeness, holiness in other translations. Now, that is a verse that can be greatly misunderstood. Somebody might walk away and go, wait a minute, is that saying that unless I really get all disciplined, I'm never gonna see the Lord? In other words, I'm going to qualify myself to see the Lord by my own effort, right, 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 right? No, no, no. Only the Lord can qualify you to see the Lord. But here's what that verse is teaching. When you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, when you're trusting in him to qualify you, he creates in you a desire to want to be godly. That desire is in every single disciple of Jesus without exception. You say, how can you say that so confidently? Because the Holy Spirit is in you if you're a true believer, and he is gonna create that desire. So I just say, kindly, sensitively, if you find yourself today with no desire whatsoever to become more like Jesus, I, I would at least think seriously about where you stand with Jesus. Because some modicum of desire is just one of the things that the Holy Spirit gives you. So here's my question. How much effort, how much time would you say you are pursue, spending pursuing godliness and Christ-likeness in your life? How much time would you say? Now let me be clear. More time doesn't automatically mean more godliness. In fact, you could come to church services sometimes for 40 hours a week, and it doesn't mean that necessarily you would become more godly. So let's just be clear about that. Let's not make this a new Pharisaism. We're comparing with other people. How much time are you spending? Well, I'm spending this much. No, no, no. This is about the impact of the disciplines in our lives. But with that understood, in most cases, most of us would do well if we spent a little more time on the disciplines, allowing God to transform us from the inside out. He said, well, Pastor Rex, I get a verse sent to me every day, and I spend five minutes reading that and praying a little bit and having a quiet time. Isn't that enough? Well, first I wanna say to you, bravo, way to go. If you spend five minutes a day, whoo, hallelujah, I drive my family crazy with a little saying that I like. Here's the saying, I'll bet you've used it too. Something is better than nothing, right? Have you ever used that? Yeah. Something is better 
than nothing. So bravo, you keep on doing that. If that's what you can manage, honestly, in your life right now, that is awesome. I hope you'll keep that up. But have you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Malcolm Gladwell popularized this in his book, Outliers. It's based on some pretty solid research that basically says to become truly an expert in just about any endeavor, you need to spend about 10,000 hours practicing. Whatever it is, playing the violin, becoming great in a sport, becoming masterful at painting, becoming a master craftsperson, whatever it would be, you, if you have developed this unconscious competence, it's gonna take you about 10,000 hours. So let me ask you, if you wanted to play the guitar really, really well, do you think five minutes a day would get you there? Probably not, right? Probably not. I'll bet you'd improve. You, you, if you did that every day, you would show improvement over time. But if you really wanna be great at that, a five minutes a day aren't gonna get you the result you desire. I believe that God is calling some of us today to seriously examine how much time we're spending on these disciplines for God to grow us in our Christian life. Now, <clears throat> I'm not doing this to induce guilt on anyone. In fact, that's the last thing I want. I am doing it to try to induce honesty and soberness. Okay, so here we go. How many hours a day do you spend on some of the ordinary things of life? For instance, some of you, because you believe that you know, first impressions are things you can never make a second time, right? First impressions are important. You wanna look your best when you go to work. Some of you spend at least an hour a day just getting ready, getting your hair and everything. I spent a couple of hours this morning on my own hair. I, that's, that's why it looks so stunning, okay? I just wanted you to know that. But because you want to look great, and I applaud that, you spend an hour a day getting ready. I think there's an upside to that. I think we should look our best. Some of you spend an hour a day at least at a gym, maybe five days a week, working on your body. And I again say, cool, wonderful, because there's some value in that. Some of you spend 15 or 20 minutes a day, even though you're not a financial advisor and you're not a stockbroker, you spend 15 or 20 minutes a day checking on your investments to see how the market is going. Again, I applaud that, wonderful, because you need to know about some of that stuff, okay, good. And while we're being personal here, some of us spend an hour a day in chit-chat, right? Just chit-chat, not anything really that important. It's what former generations would have called idle talk, but there may even be an upside to that because it kind of keeps you in the loop with friends, all right? And let's go a step further. Some of you spend an hour or two a day at least on social media, reading, posting, responding, envying, occasionally stalking someone, right? <laughs> Some of you spend two or more hours a day binging Netflix, Hulu, Apple, whatever. I get it, I get it. I honestly think there's some upsides to some of that stuff, but go with me here. I'm not railing on any of that. No guilt. This is a no guilt zone. If you feel guilt, it shouldn't be coming from me. I'm applauding you. Here's all I'm saying. 
None of that's going with you to heaven. None of that is going with you to heaven. And the one stinking thing that's going with you to heaven, your soul, the real you, five minutes? I'm just appealing to your reason. It's all I'm doing. It's not meant to be guilt. It's meant to be sobering. It sobers me when I think about how little time I spend on my soul compared to some of the other things in my life. In fact, I wanna tell you, for those of us who kind of value physical health, here's a verse that's really important to understand. 1 Timothy 4.8, for physical training is of some value. In other words, God's saying, bravo, way to go. Show up at the gym. But godliness, that goal I have for you, God says, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So I want you this week to say to your personal trainer, this body ain't going with me to heaven, all right? Would you say that to your personal trainer this week? Because it's not. It's not. It's gonna be a glorified body you have in heaven. It'll be recognizable, but it will be greatly improved. Praise be to God. But the one thing, the one thing you're taking with you to heaven, your soul, all I'm asking is, how much time are you spending with these disciplines? Because that's how God develops the real you, the most important part of you, and the most important thing that you'll, the only thing you'll take with you into eternity. And finally, as we wrap up today, we've looked at the purpose, the price. I wanna now talk about the paradox of spiritual disciplines, which is freedom. Now, this is a real paradox. That's why I chose that word. Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Elizabeth Elliot, a great theologian, writer, teacher, uh, wife of martyred missionary Jim Elliot, made an amazing statement some years ago. Elizabeth Elliot said, freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive, when in fact, freedom is not at all the opposite, but the final reward of discipline. What a wonderful statement. So here's what I believe. I believe that some of you, perhaps, perhaps, haven't really embraced these disciplines very much, these practices, these means and methods of God's grace. Here's what I think you've said in your mind. Yeah, Pastor, you, you started off with the right metaphor, I'll tell you, that whole orchestra thing. But let me tell you something. My part in the orchestra doesn't matter. So it doesn't really matter if I become good at playing my part or not, because it, it's not a big part. And I say to you with love and sensitivity, you're dead wrong. If you don't play the notes God designed you to play, nobody else is gonna play them. Everybody has a part to play in God's grand orchestra. And what he wants for you and for me 
oh, this is a passion in my life. I want to keep growing as a Christian, and I want you to grow as well. He wants that unconscious competence where we honestly find ourselves, it's amazing, it's, it's miraculous. We find ourselves responding like Jesus would without even having to think about it a lot. So I promise you, I close with this illustration. I've used a musical metaphor today. I've used a, a sports metaphor today. I'm gonna close with a driving metaphor, all right, with me? I said to a friend this week, I said, have, have you, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever arrived home in your driveway at the end of the day, you've driven home, even through heavy traffic, and it's almost like you get in your driveway and you like wake up and go, how did I get here? You don't remember a thing about the drive home because your mind was totally still working on problems and situations at your workplace and your office, and yet you drove home accident-free. That's what you call unconscious competence. But on it, it didn't start that way, did it? When you were learning how to drive, it was so awkward. Every move you had to think about. Okay, a foot on brake. Uh, check mirrors, check surround. All right, put it in reverse. Foot on brake. Okay, we're good. Coast is clear. Slowly begin to move. It was painfully awkward. But now that New York State has issued you a fancy dancy license, you're a stinking expert at driving because you've spent all these years doing it. You're good at it. And you can drive home hardly even thinking about what, that spiritually is what God's looking for in our lives. We actually kind of look like Jesus in the way we respond to the events of life and we hardly even have to think about it or sweat it because we've been showing up at God's gym on Tuesday morning and Wednesday night and Thursday afternoons doing the drills. That's what God is looking for. And may God be glorified in our lives as we value these disciplines more and more. Final word, this is not the most entertaining sermon I've ever preached. And I promise you, it's not the most giddy sermon I've ever preached, but in God's providence, this is probably about in the top five sermons of importance that I've ever preached. Amen. All right? Just, just saying, so however you're feeling right now, however you're hearing or receiving this, just saying, in my entire life of ministry, there's pro probably the top five sermons in importance that I've ever preached. You simply don't grow in God's orchestra unless you engage the disciplines. Father, help us, help us to be recipients of your amazing grace. Remind us regularly of Ruth Haley Barton's words, we cannot change ourselves. It's your grace that changes us, but we have to show up. We have to put ourselves in the conditions where we access that grace 
and you change us from the inside out. Thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, that there's not a single person here who belongs to you that you don't have a role for in that orchestra. Every note you've designed for them matters. Help them to rejoice in that, not to lament that. To go away rejoicing today, to feel the gravity that, hey, God has called me to a unique life, notes that I alone am called to play, and we will forever celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.